You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Peter Singer, professor of bioethics at Princeton University and author of Ethics in the Real World, and Anantha Duryapa, director of the UNESCO Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Education for Peace and Sustainable Development. You've really both also been very involved in the philosophical questions of how we might lead better lives with respect to the environment, with respect to animals. As you reflect on the issues of humans and nature, how could we better be stewards of our environment? Well, that's a big question. And there are many things that we could do to be better stewards of our environment. One thing, obviously, that we're all aware of nowadays is the fact that we are changing the climate of our planet through activities, both in terms of the burning of fossil fuels for generating electricity and uh, for transport, but also through our meat consumption and, in particular, the cattle and both uh, beef and dairy cattle and other ruminant animals that are putting large quantities of methane into the atmosphere. So that's clearly one thing that we should change and we need to change very urgently. But, but the whole attitude to the preservation of our environment, to the animals who have been here for in many cases, many millions of years before us, whose habitat we are destroying and whose environment we are poisoning in various ways. That's another question that I think really needs a more radical shift in attitude so that we have more concern for the well-being of non-human animals and of the non-human environment uh, on which all life lives. I'm going to respond with starting with a sense of uh, frustration. Frustration in the fact that, you know, we, we have all the policies in place, we have the resolutions. I was just looking back and, you know, starting off with the human rights, the Charter of Human Rights, but we violate human rights on a daily basis across the world to today. Then we have the, and I was interested to find out that there's a world charter for nature that was done some, sometime in the 1980s. And then we have the earth charter. And when you read these, these charters, we would sort of say that we, we've got it all charted out. I would like, to, it is very anthropocentric, uh, very human induced, uh, but at least it, it talks about protection of the of nature, the living organisms, the diversity, so forth and so on. But we don't do anything. We, we our behaviors have not really changed. And so, and I was becoming very frustrated. You know, working first as an academic in university teaching, environmental economics and development economics, both not talking to each other, and then joining UNEP in Nairobi with the environment program. And again, as I see, we, we, we have these big meetings, we talk, we proclaim, we make all these uh, grand proclamations that we're going to, and then, we, and then we go back to business as usual. And I think Peter mentioned a, a, a term that I, I think I would like to explore on attitudes and values and beliefs. And, and I think we've got our benchmark that we measure progress wrong. I don't know how it crept or it crept into our lives. This, this, I always call it a pesky little thing called GDP and material wealth. And for some reason, it seems that that tells us that we are well and we are prosperous. 
and uh, psychologists, uh, behavioral economists, and so forth have said no. Uh, and we have the evidence to say that it doesn't. But yet we continue, and, I, and I'm sort of saying, so how do we change that mindset? And, and our education systems in many ways actually uh, tend to support the kind of destructive activities that we have. It's put as a very competitive environment. It's basically about job, you know, creating job opportunities, and that's all our students are looking for. But I'm happy to also notice that the younger generation is wanting change, is wanting and is concerned about the way my generation and, and ones before that have destroyed and leaving a very destroyed planet for, to them to clean up the mess. So I, I'm looking to the youth and in fact, looking to their risk-taking behavior to change. And find better ways of living. There are better ways of living. The, the question always is how do we actually get people to move there, given the, the power of uh, basically the consumer society and all of the advertising that that generates and uh, the models that it puts before the eyes of young people. So let me uh, jump in here with some, um, from some experiments that we have done and, and some, some positive results that we are getting that could be kind of brought into the education system. And I just want to focus on the social and emotional learning dimensions that we have been working on. And, you know, uh, we were very surprised that even at the six-week intervention, how, how the impact it has had on the way that people perceive others and, as well as other uh, beings. And we have one on climate change, which we have taken a very different approach than just, you know, I think by just saying to people that we have a problem and this is, so that's the, the kind of knowledge which is necessary, but I think we need to take to the next level in terms of having that empathy, empathy with others who are going to be hurt by climate change, empathy with other living beings, which are going to be in many cases pushed to extinction, you know, as an economist, <laughs> trained as a, as a classical economist, uh, for a long time, you know, I uh, this is from a personal relation that I was kind of distanced from, from the things that I was studying, biodiversity and so. But, but once you start practicing and, uh, you know, contemplative practices, and then also the whole notion of and one of the things that really moved me was this movie that, or this documentary that was just won, I think in the Oscar and the BAFTA is The Octopus, My Friend, and how it had, and I, and I, and I kind of told a lot of my nephews and nieces to watch it, and, and, and they couldn't believe that an octopus could have feelings and it could reach out and exchange. Uh, and also the fact that at some point in time when it felt that it was, it had done what it had to do. It offered itself as, as, as uh, to its praise. So in a sense, it embraced its life, and then it says, "I've come to my end." So it was a beautiful understanding of other other beings that they they have as well emotions, as much as as that we do, and we have to learn how to sort of empathize with that. But that doesn't mean that we are going to sort of say that you know we can't because you have to let nature take itself in its own way because there is something which can be very dangerous from this social and emotional uh, learning exercises is what they call empathetic distress, 
where you become so empathetic towards others and yet can't do anything, you get into a depression and a depressing mode yourself, and that's not good. And so that's why they talked about compassion, which is empathy in action. Do something, and even if you, at least any little thing, so that it, you, you sort of feel that you're part of that solution and you attempted to do it, and so resolve it within yourself that you're at peace with yourself. So, and we found that even with a six week intervention, we could actually see quite a bit of change. So imagine if it was mainstreamed within education as part of our educational aspects. And and to be like a curtain that comes down in front of our empathy when we people try and get us to have concern for the domestic animals who now such a, a vast part of the biomass of our planet greatly outnumbering the biomass of all the wild animals left. So I think you know, this, is, this is something that may be more difficult if, if you have examples of how education can change attitude to those animals who we eat as well. That would be very encouraging, but that seems to me to be a more difficult barrier to overcome. Uh, and yet it's an important barrier because of the enormous influence that the vast number of animals, something like 74 billion animals, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, that we raise and kill each year on this planet. And if we can't make inroads into that uh, and change attitudes to that, then I still have fears for where, where we're going. I think that it must be something that's done in tandem with home education, because traditionally we don't focus a lot of time in our education models on, you know, where we get our food, you know, agriculture, this is neglected, you know, people are just, they don't even understand the food production models. And so it's, and, and yet if it's, it has to be integrated with how we learn our, our customs, our rituals at table. If we really understood it, I think that, you know, you and I were talking before, Peter, about how, you know, if children, when children begin to understand that what they're eating, you know, was an animal that, that like the stuffed animals that they cherish and love, it, there's a connection in that they're actually eating that. If we were just more open and transparent, I think that that changes minds, but we just, as you say, we have to make an effort to see the videos, to see how, you know, the conditions and abattoirs, et cetera. But yeah, I think it has to be done at education at home and education in the school that really doesn't usually cover our, our dietary habits and, and those things. Uh, yes, Mia, but if, if we bring in the whole notion of what biodiversity is and how the interlinkages and stuff, you can do it in school. But I, I, but I agree in a sense that the domestic uh, animals like the cattle and the, and the, uh, and the, and the lamb, and, you know, these are the ones that find themselves on the plate. And it's, 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 a, it's a crying shame when you see so much of wastage goes, you know, when you think about an animal, animal was sacrificed. And then when you go to the restaurants, you see so much of it left on the plate it's it's doing so much injustice to the, the to a living thing that uh, basically was killed to provide this and you know i'm moving to i'm moving towards vegetarianism as one grows old and one sees this i used to love mutton 
and 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 but I can't see myself now having seeing a lamb or a, a young goat being killed. It just is not possible. But I don't want to impose that on, and I don't impose it on my children. I want them to learn that through their own experiences that they come to that that decision on your on their own journey. But they must experience that, and I think that's what education should do. And it's it's. I agree that. Uh... They do need to get to that point. And again, the question is how we get them to it. And me, I was suggesting that it, it has to come through education in the home. But, you know, whereas we can find ways of changing education in the schools, if, if government policies change, we can have different programs. Maybe the, as you were saying, Anantha, the, the program that you've developed uh, that makes an impact in six weeks could become part of school curricula in uh, many countries. But it's, it's harder to change education in the home because that does depend on the parents and parents will pass on their own values. So that makes it somewhat difficult to make those changes, I believe. But, but I do think it's very important. I think we need to get children to have more concern for, for nature, as we've been saying. And if we don't have that, then the the future is going to be a very difficult one for for nature and for the whole planet. As you think about the environment and the next 10 years, which most people agree are crucial, what makes you hopeful? How could we put greater pressures on legislators and others to bring about the change we want to see? Mm. Well, as I said um, one thing that makes me hopeful is the improving technology for clean energy, for clean generation of electricity through solar and, and wind. We've talked about the alternatives for me. Those things do make me hopeful. Some, the, the fact that the population of some countries is, is starting to grow rather slowly, if, or in some cases not grow at all. Recent reports about for birth rates remaining quite low in China and the United States also has a lower birth rate. These could help, but population rates are still high in sub-Saharan Africa and so preserving the environment there becomes more and more difficult as population grows still quite rapidly there. So I, have, I think we have some reasons for hope, but we have some reasons to be not all that optimistic and to say uh, we still there's still an immense amount that we have to do to save the planet and to save nature and the biodiversity that we have here. Yeah, you give, when you say 10 years, that's a luxury. <laughs> Although many will say it's really short, but in terms of policy, 10 years. I would still, I would go with the, with the, with the education system, introduce this whole uh, notion of how you do in, in a sense of empathy, just not for others, which we need a lot. If you look at the way the pandemic has, has brought out the, the worst in, in all of us in terms of each looking after their own self and protecting it and not, not realizing it, it's such a global good that it just spreads across borders. I think by intervening at the school and I see uh, positive aspects for a country like India, which has one of the largest youngest uh, young population, uh, approximately about 800 million, and more than 300 of them are in schools. And, and they've just passed the new education policy 2020. And 
And this whole notion of social and emotional with the whole notion of empathy and compassion, part of that system. And, and the ministry is extremely uh, supportive of uh, mainstreaming this. And we made a very strong case that it should not become another course by itself or a subject by, by itself, but it should be just part of the school system and part of the education structure, if you might use that term. So we feel that just looking at India itself will be a, will be, will be a great, will provide some, some relief on the global level because in a sense, they are, they are growing at such a speed and the, and the needs and the wants are so material and consumerist kind of uh, drive that is pushing them that one needs to temper that with a little bit more of uh, going back to the old roots of look within yourself and get peace within yourself rather than just chasing after this elusive material wealth as your sense of well-being. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.